everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Leverett Ball Show. And this is actually our second edition of Weiler Weekly, in which I'll be joined by Baltimore Orioles disability consultant Bryce Weiler. And we'll talk with various people in the world of sports about disability advocacy within sports. Um, so joining Bryce and I today is Matt Satilli. Matt has worked in sports in a variety of roles um, for places such as the Futures Collegiate Baseball League and also Boston College Athletics as both a game day operations worker and multimedia producer. So Bryce, Matt, welcome guys. Thank you guys for having me. I uh, really appreciate you offering to have me on and chat today and Leverett, uh, familiar face and Bryce, great to meet you. Really excited to talk with you guys today. Hey, Leverett and Matt, it's great to be on Leverett with the second time doing our Weiler Weekly episode. No question. Well, and like Bryce said, this is our, our second one we've done. The first one we did, it was just the two of us. We're going to have guests moving forward. But I think Bryce is, you know, really excited. I, I gave him a little bit of a headache in our last episode. So he's excited to have some guests on and not have to hear my voice quite as much. But um, to start out, um, you know, obviously – you know, I, Bryce and I, we talked about some of his experiences um, on the last episode with the Beautiful Lives Project, the Orioles, a number of other teams. Um, but Matt, you know, we've talked a little bit about in the past off the air about stuff you've done with the FCBL and BC. Um, I wanted to start out by asking you guys, um, you know, Matt, when, when you've worked with BC, what types of, uh, you know, you've done some game day ops and some MCing, what types of disability um support have they had for fans at games? Sure. So uh, I serve as the game day MC for men's hockey and get a chance to be around a lot of different parts of the arena at ice level, taking the elevator up to the landing where I will usually do some reads. And it's fairly a traditional setup. They have an ADA landing. It's actually right in front of where I do a lot of my stuff, whether it be a t-shirt toss or dance cam, stuff that's on camera and provides me a chance to get some interaction with those fans. And also in the elevator, you see a lot of fans coming up, accessing their seats with families. And, you know, for hockey, it's a lot easier than say for a football game where you're filling a very small campus with up to 45,000 fans. Hockey's very accommodating in that you know, there are multiple parking garages for fans to park at if they have a handicap sticker, if they have disability requirements. And it's a small enough arena where unless it's a sold out crowd, they're more than happy to make certain accommodations and reserve tickets and seating in advance. So, you know, I do get a chance to see a little bit of what goes on at that level. But, um, you know, luckily there is enough space to make sure that there are accommodations for people who may need it. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned the difference between, you know, hockey games versus football games at BC. You know, I live, you know, in the area and I know, you know, uh, BC football games are packed. Obviously not during the pandemic, they're not having fans, but I mean, a lot of BC uh, students and alum turn up for games. Uh, this is probably easier, you know, at hockey and other sports when the crowd's a little bit smaller. But also Bryce, um, you know, the two of us have talked a lot about your experience with, with pro teams. But while we're on the topic of... Um, of college sports, you know, I know you've worked with a number of college basketball teams and uh, some college teams and other sports as well. Um, what type of accommodations have you seen uh, for various types of disabilities um, with some of the college teams you've worked with? 
With college teams as a whole, there are not really standards for what has to be done for fans who have disabilities. So while they do have specialized ADA seating, they don't often have noise-canceling headphones for fans who have autism or special closed captioning boards or, or closed captioning things for individuals who are deaf. And it's different than professional sports because just as in college sports with college football and college basketball not really having true, true governance to decide what happens with their games, not true governance for that. And there's definitely not going to be true governance for what a university has to do for fans who have disabilities. Well, and have you, um, you know, had a chance to talk with any of these schools, you know, when you've gone there to speak or to meet with teams or go to games, um, you know, have you had a, had a chance to, to talk to some of the higher ups at these schools and make suggestions, Bryce? I have suggested things to schools or I've told them what I've done with Baltimore and with, with other professional teams, but it all depends on whether they have that in their budget and how interested they are. Even some of the top level schools don't really have some of the things that I mentioned just because either they don't know how to do it or they really don't want to do it. Well, and you know, I, you know, also, you know, you mentioned the, your, the Baltimore Orioles, what are the biggest differences in the way that fans with disabilities are accommodated at the pro level with the Orioles and other teams in comparison to the NCAA level? At the pro level, if a team wants to accommodate fans with, with disabilities, they could do almost anything they would desire to do. At a college level, that might be a little trickier due to funding and budget constraints. So it's just the difference of the funding. But the, the laws that govern both of them really aren't very strict. So you see more at the professional level than at the college level for accommodating fans of all disabilities. Okay, well, and, and Matt, also, you know, I first met you working in the FCBL. Um, you know, I worked for a specific team in, in the FCBL, the New Britain Bees. You work for the league. Gee, Bryce, I'm sure uh, I'm happy to have an FCBL guy on because he's done some stuff in the past with the Bees. He's a big Bees fan. Um, but, um, you know, what are some of the differences between, like, you know, BC and then a league like the FCBL. Obviously the FCBL has a lot of college players. They're not professional baseball players, but it's a private business outside of the NCAA. How are leagues like that different from, um, you know, NCAA teams? Sure. Well, you know, at least in my experiences, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. As you guys already mentioned, there's the capacity issue where a lot of these teams are playing at local high school fields, perhaps the bees at a place like new Britain stadium. That's already had to, house baseball at a higher level. So you're not dealing with as many restrictions in terms of putting their eggs in other baskets with making sure everyone's getting in safely and all the other things that go into game day. But, you know, as you guys mentioned, a lot of these teams don't have a huge budget to make accommodations. However, I do feel like there are specific teams where if there is a fan who's really passionate about the team and is going there multiple times and has that in touch level with management and organizations to suggest, you know, Hey, this, these are not up to the standards of what some of our fans want to experience when they come into the ballparks, then there's at least more of a personal touch. But once again, it's definitely on a team by team basis. I found that there wasn't a huge amount of league oversight in that. However, the teams facilitated what fans are entering in their building. 
you know, they're best equipped and most knowledgeable about those situations. Yeah, well, and, you know, also you guys mentioned how different teams handle things different ways. I think also, you know, I think there are certain parts of the experience that every fan should have. You know, I've worked with teams in the past who have made more accommodations, whether it's for disabilities or anything else, for their season ticket holders or for people buying the most expensive tickets. But I think if someone has a disability, even if they're not a season ticket holder and they're in one of the cheapest seats in the house, they deserve basic accommodations. They still deserve to enjoy the experience and not, you know, struggle through it. Um, so, but it's interesting though, to hear from both of you from, you know, college teams to collegiate summer teams to professional teams, how, um, you know, how it, it can be different, but, um, you know, also, um, as far as progress that the two of you would like to see, um, what do you think are some of the, the roadblocks or excuses or whatever you want to call them? What are some of the things getting in the way of these various teams improving um, what they do to accommodate disabilities? And maybe uh, we'll lever. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure thing. I was just going to follow up on your season ticket holder note. I think that's oh, sure. really important. And I was actually looking into the policies that BC has regarding football. Like you said, a high demand sport that has a lot of donors. They only allow on-campus ADA accessible parking if you are a season ticket holder. If not, you're required to park more than a mile away and take a shuttle to the stadium. And, you know, granted, that comes with its limitations in terms of game day experience and how much you can take in and having to carve your schedule around getting a separate shuttle from, you know, closer to the town center than the campus itself. And I, I do think that that's something that should be emphasized and brought up because like you said, if someone's giving money in there every game, or if they're, I feel like it's almost more important for someone who's there for a one-time experience, who's soaking it all in. And then that word of mouth spreads. So, you know, I just wanted to follow that up and maybe we can kick it to Bryce to start off this question. But I, I did think that was really interesting when I was looking in the details about that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And Bryson, what's your take on all of that? I think one of the most important things is going to be funding, of course, but more important than that would be standards for what teams have to do at the college level, because if there were standards set by each conference would probably be the best way to do it because the conference would know the, the budgets of their member schools and universities, then teams They'd really have to do these things. They couldn't decide which disabilities they wanted to help and which ones they wouldn't do any programs for, because that's something that comes up as well. Teams will pick a certain disability or two or three, and they'll do a lot for those disabilities when there's eight, nine to 10 that they should be assisting and working with. Yeah. Well, I think also, I think it's a matter of changing culture. Um, and, you know, the common attitudes that people have, because, you know, sometimes the bare minimum standards for schools and athletic programs in regards to accommodating disabilities are not that high. So if a team is simply trying to meet the bare minimums and just stay out of trouble and not go beyond that, they do very, very little. Um, so, you know, you know, Curry College, where I went to, to school, I did have, have a, a good experience there overall, and I don't want to throw shade at them, but they've gotten in some trouble in the past for not accommodating disabilities. The worst uh, situation they had, they actually got a lot of bad publicity a couple of years back because a, a girl who was legally blind um, brought a service animal, a dog to class, which she was 
able to bring. And her professor said it was a distraction to the class and actually locked. This was in a, a uh, bio lab, locked her dog in a closet with toxic chemicals. Um, and they, you know, justifiably, the school got a, a lot of very bad publicity. And even as someone who went to school there and actually had a good experience there and has made a lot of connections there. I mean, that type of thing is bullshit. And um, I think if one person within an organization is doing that, everyone within the organization needs to call that person out and, and everyone needs to hold each other to a certain standard. Um, and, you know, Bryce, you mentioned, you know, when you've gone to college games, sometimes teams really haven't had enough. Um, and like I said, I think it's about changing an attitude and, and educating each other on that type of thing. Um, but then also um, kind of moving away from sports for a little bit, when both of you were, were students in college, um, what were some of the accommodations like for students, you know, in classrooms? Sure. So I uh, served as a teaching assistant this past year um, within the communications department, which is what I majored in. And there was a girl on the cross country team who was deaf. She had special accommodations where the teacher wore a necklace that had an amplification system on it that fed into an earpiece for her to be able to get the information. He wasn't super keen on writing stuff down or slowing down his pace. So there were times where you know, I and the other TA would sit down with her, review information, you know, special review sessions, uh, pardon, uh, review sessions would have to be accommodated for. And, um, you know, like you said, it was definitely on a case by case basis, because I don't think it was at least seen enough by the general student body where it would be like, okay, you know, if I know if I'm in this building, there are these kind of accommodations set in place. It was definitely more, it seemed like on the kids to reach out to faculty members and have to make that step. But, you know, a lot of awesome experiences. I'm also in a comedy group at BC. Well, I was prior to graduation. And uh, there was a student who was blind and uh, we found out that he actually climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a year or two prior. And, you know, it was awesome to get a chance to talk to him and kind of hear about some of his experiences in campus life. And, you know, once again, I had a great experience at BC, but I think it's definitely a place where for as high as their budget and endowment is, they definitely don't put it towards the kind of accommodations and standards that some other schools maybe at the public level would accept as fair for all students. No question. And, and Bryce, also, I know, you know, we've talked a lot about your experience working with teams, but I know for you as a student, um, you got your bachelor's degree at uh, Evansville and then your master's degree at Western Illinois. Um, what type of accommodations do they have for students um, while you're while you're in school at those two places? It's the difference between a private university and a public university. Whenever I was at Evansville, I actually had to use my own laptop to take my tests on because they didn't have laptops that had my specialized screen reader jaws on it. They just didn't have it in their funding or they weren't part of the budget towards purchasing that. When I was in graduate school at a state university, they, they had that. They could print documents out in Braille. All of those things, um, printing documents out at Braille, they couldn't, in Braille, they couldn't do whenever I was at Evansville. It was fault of Evansville staff who who ran those programs, they would have done it, but it wasn't something that the budgets were were put towards. So 
that's that's truly diff- the difference between a private university and a public state funded university because the private universities have less laws, less rules that they're under because they are privately funded versus funded by the state and federal government. Yeah. And, you know, I think also with education, um, you know, it's just there's such a wide range of um, how different schools try to make an effort. And, um, you know, for me personally, you know, since I have ADD, um, I mean, I knew kids who had ADD who actually went to specialized schools that just had students with ADD. And I didn't I didn't want to do that. Um, I didn't want to go to some tiny school. You know, I wanted to have a normal social experience. So, you know, it was it was hard trying to pick the right school that, you know, had the right types of accommodations and had the right types of of attitudes. I mean, you know, and for me, like I said, high school at Brewster Academy, then at Curry College, I had teachers who were kind of on a broad spectrum from, you know, really making an effort to not caring at all to, you know, some of them were somewhere in the middle. Um, But, you know, while we talk about sports, I think it's also, you know, a lot of people with various types of disabilities really have trouble in school um, getting accommodations or, or feeling humiliated. Um, So I think that was, you know, important thing to address um, as well. But then also um, since this is a podcast in which we talk mostly about sports, People talk a lot about how athletes and other people in the sports world can make an impact. And I think in the modern athlete is more open in talking publicly about various topics outside of sports. Um, but for both of you, how do you think the sports world can be used as a platform to have an impact in disability advocacy? So uh, for me, one of my really close childhood friends who I'm still friends with to this day is first cousins with George Springer on the Houston Astros, who may be playing for another team next season. Yes. And he grew up with a severe speech impediment, had a lot of stuttering, had to go through intense coursework to try to correct it and just a lot of repetitions. And especially now playing at a high level at the University of Connecticut and now in the major leagues. You're under a lot of scrutiny in the media, oh, yeah. public appearance, you can imagine. And he's actually become a huge advocate for one of the biggest foundations and organizations for kids with speech impediments. He's given them a lot of their time, a lot of awareness, a lot of money raised. And, you know, he's almost corrected it to the point where it's not very noticeable unless you had prior knowledge of it. But even something as simple as that, hearing for, uh, stories from my friend about sitting around Thanksgiving dinner, him not even really being able to form sentences and really having to work at it and try to overcome it and adapt to it. And now him using his platform to try to inspire kids who may be going through the same thing. So that's something that I thought was really cool to hear. Yeah. Well, you mentioned specifically speech impediments. Um, you know, also, you know, our new president elect Joe Biden has, you know, had a significant speech impediment. He's talked about how he's over, you know, he's been open publicly about how he worked over the years to overcome that. And I mean, whether you're a major league baseball player or president, I mean, there have been some very successful people who have overcome speech impediments. And Bryce also, um, as far as impact, I guess kind of a a two-prong follow-up to that question. Um, How have you used, um, you know, your um, place in the sports world with the professional team's you've worked with um, to have an impact, but then also who's one other person in the sports world, whether it's an owner, coach, uh, GM, player, 
whoever who has really impressed you with the type of impact they had? I've tried to use my life of what I've done with the Orioles or being a blind sports radio broadcaster to inspire others to be able to really help people who have disabilities or to encourage people who have disabilities to be successful. And a person in sports who I think does a great job for individuals of all disabilities is my friend Steve Coonan, the Atlanta Hawks owner, who does a great job helping people who have disabilities with the Hawks. He was the first NBA team to have a specialized staff member to work with those groups of, of individuals back in 2014. And he really cares about helping people who have disabilities. And that's not often seen from the sports ownership. They, they see that, that they want to, but then when you try and adjust things to them, they don't really want to do them or they're not interested in doing them. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned also, I think what I really took away from that is how genuine um, based on what you've told me, you know, now and also in previous conversations, uh, how genuine uh, Steve Coonan has been, because whether it's disability advocacy or any other type of community outreach that pro sports teams do, all of them do it, but not all of them are genuine. You know, whether it's owners of sports teams, CEOs, you know, politicians, whoever, some people get involved in the community simply to boost their own image. And, you know, I've heard stories of, professional athletes who have shown up to charity events and then seen that there were no TV cameras there and left, you know, and it's all about not only what you're doing, but why you do it. So it sounds as though based on what you, you know, what you just said and what you've told me in the past about Steve that, um, you know, he, he genuinely cares. Um, but you know, also a few other topics I want to talk to you guys about, but, uh, just give a quick uh, shout out to our sponsor, Radical Strength and Fitness. Um, they'll get on my ass if I don't plug them. Actually, uh, if, if you want to be as muscular as our guest today, Matt Satilli, you got to go get a lifting oh, session in it. Radical Strength and Fitness. But anyway, um, for both of you, um, you know, Bryce and I have talked and Matt and I have also talked off the air about what a weird, a weird year it's been in 2020. Um and now heading into 2021, but you know, how has the pandemic affected um, the world of, of advocacy? I mean, Bryce, I know some of your beautiful lives events have not been able to take place, but you know, the, the pandemic has negatively impacted so many different things, but what are some of the challenges that have, you know, come up in the world of disability advocacy um, when it comes to the pandemic and maybe Bryce, since you've told me about some of the challenges for the Beautiful Lives Project, do you, do you want to start? What are some uh, ways that the pandemic has gotten in the way of your advocacy? I don't think you necessarily have to discuss challenges. Challenges would be not being able to have events and things like that. But mm -hmm. some positive things that have came out of that would be being now more open to hire people with disabilities because they realize that people who have disabilities overcome obstacles and challenges every day. So a pandemic, while it is a major deal to a lot of the country is just another obstacle or a challenge for someone who has a disability. And also with more jobs being worked from home now or with flexible hours, people who have disabilities are now more easily able to apply for various jobs than they were before the pandemic started. Yeah, man. I mean, what do you think? I mean, as far as, you know, obviously BC athletics, there haven't even been fans at games. Um, but um you know, what What do you think some of the challenges have been um, as far as, you know, advocacy? I mean, like I said, in this absolutely bizarre year. 
Sure. Well, I think just at a basic level, it's making sure it's not getting pushed on the back burner, right? Bryce, you've talked about a lot of private organizations, private leagues, either not having the funding or just not having the interest in it, right? And I feel like the big concern with a lot of that stuff is that important issues that you're seeing on the news and just a handful of select topics are all anything's willing to commit mental energy to, you know, it's all you're hearing about. And I feel like the concern with that is that a lot of these everyday concerns that have always been an issue are just going to be pushed back until other things are kind of returning to a state of normalcy. But at the same time, you know, if teams are having no fans, it's a great opportunity to consider what other measures can we take? You know, how can we try to implement some of these things and take advantage of an atmosphere where there are no fans and you can, you know, kind of sit back and evaluate where there aren't so many game day operations concerns and a lot of other things having, you know, having the ability and time to talk about stuff that you wouldn't normally have the chance to. So, you know, I think it's just important to still be keeping these things in mind, not pushing it back and also taking advantage of a, you know, a bizarre and not ideal, but unique situation. I mean, it certainly is unique. Um, you know, we've certainly never seen a stretch like this, um, before and i mean i think if i if i hear the word unprecedented one more time i might punch a hole in the wall um for the number of times i've i mean it's true but for the number of times i've heard the word unprecedented um this past year i'm going to lose my mind although also you know as far as the fan experience goes now with you know fans not being at games and just everything being broadcast um you know uh, there are maybe certain challenges that come with that. And Bryce, actually, I remember a previous conversation we had. I don't remember exactly what you said word for word, but you mentioned something about, I think, the NBA during their last bubble season. Were they not using rim microphones? They didn't have rim microphones due to there not being fans there. So that they had to have somebody there to turn the microphone on and off so they could pick up their curves. And now... They've really turned their fake crowd noise up loud. And if they have basket microphones, you can't really ball hitting off the rim or switching through the net because of the fake crowd noise. I've not listened to a single NBA game since the season started this year and hardly any with the restart later. I have a lot more free time on my hands. I don't like games that have fake crowd noise. I would be silent and hear everything. Well, I was going to say, because I think you mentioned when we talked about it that, you know, you weren't super excited to to uh tune into games you know with them doing that i i think at the time you said that you were you're frustrated by it it wasn't as much fun listening to games and that you were less inclined to tune in but if you could you know give the nba some advice on you know how to run their broadcasts you know in addition to the um you know rim microphones what are some things you know if i'm adam silver what would you tell me as to how um you know how I could set up the broadcast to make them more accommodating? Well, first of all, they're not going to do it because a large portion of the country likes the fake crowd noise and they really mm -hmm. don't care if they hear the, the basket microphones or not. So I would say no crowd noise, let people hear the basket microphones, but the is not going to do that because there's a lot of people in this country who find comfort in the fake crowd noise. Yeah, well, the fake crowd noise is weird also, not just as far as, you know, accommodating people, but, you know, some people have also said, you know, 
without the fake crowd noise, you get a different perspective. You know, you can actually hear sometimes what the players are saying. You can hear the play calls. Um, you can hear the coaches communicating to the players and it. It almost gives you more of an inside look as to and an inside feel as to what it'd be like to actually be out there on the court or the field playing. So leaving aside, you know, how, you know, it's, it's harder, um, a harder experience on, on certain fans with disabilities is also a lot of fans just, they think that it takes away from the quality of the game. The other thing that I, I cannot wrap my head around um, during this past year at sporting events are the people who pay to have cutouts of themselves put in the stadium. What can, can either of you explain to me, what is the, the point of that? I, I mean, so yeah, I mean, the point's got to be to raise more money, right? Like I received a couple emails saying, hey, you know, for a nice light fee of, you know, $100, $200, X, Y, and Z, you can get your cutout in the stadium. But I know, mean, for the I fans, a, why would you spend your money? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think a good insight into that before I track back and offer a really interesting note, I, Bryce, I think that's fascinating about the crowd noise. Um, is I know that uh, a friend of ours, Donnie Percaro, who was a game day interns op for the Celtics, got to be on one of the video boards, and at least you have that interactive experience. He said that he was in a Zoom call with the other fans in attendance, and hmm. you know because they were playing the Nets when Kyrie missed a shot, one of the you know older big Bostonian season ticket holders was like, "Kyrie, you stink." <laughs> so you know, kind of a, a community aspect there. But you know, talking about the fake crowd noise, I think that. That's really interesting, and it's something that I hadn't considered because one thing that really drew me into sports is I really enjoy the fanfare and kind of the traditions and just atmosphere surrounding the event. So, you know, I would certainly lean to selecting a broadcast that had the fake crowd noise versus not. But I've recently really gotten into soccer the last couple of years, and I know that one thing that NBCSN does is they will broadcast the telecast on TV with the fake crowd noise. And then throughout the broadcast, they'll often advertise, you know, to listen to a broadcast without crowd noise, visit our website, visit our streaming services. So at least they're giving fans that option, which I think is definitely valuable in that situation. Now, personally, I would lean towards the crowd noise, but, you know, from my perspective, not a huge basketball fan, but certainly a big sports fan, you know, I didn't even notice that they took away the rim microphone. So that's really interesting for me to know. And now to go back and watch a game and, you know, try to take in a little bit more auditory wise. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, like both of you mentioned, um, it does take something away, not having the rim microphones. Also, you know, we'll see this coming major league baseball season. Um, you know, if they have the, the base microphones, you know, sometimes it's cool. Um, when you hear the, uh, you know, the player sliding into the base and you hear kind of the, the smack of the hand or the foot on the base and the slap of the tag, um, I guess major league baseball, sometimes they're a little, uh, nervous about doing that because sometimes the base microphones pick up swear words. Um, so, you know, in a live broadcast, you can't edit those out. Um, but whether it's rim mics, um, you know, base mics, whatever. I mean, it. you definitely feel like you're kind of out there on the field, um, you know, <clears throat> with, uh, you know, getting that that extra perspective, I guess is the closest thing, you know, I'll ever experience to feeling like a professional athlete. Um, but uh, I mean, then again, you know, if anyone wants to be a pro athlete, you should probably train a radical strength and fitness. But, um, you know, also another shameless plug there, but also for both of you moving forward, um, you know, what are some of your professional plans in general? And also, how do you both aim to, um, uh, 
you know, continue to use your platforms that you have um, in order to make a difference? Sure. So, um, you know, I'm fresh out of college, graduated in May of 2020. So, uh, you know, graduated in air quotes. We never really had a formal celebration. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's been trying. It's required a lot of patience and networking. I've been very grateful for the opportunity that I've been given by the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. As you mentioned, I'm still doing content for them. Uh, it's fun to appear on a, a podcast as a guest because I host it uh, once a week with my co-host, Owen Shadrick. So, you know, just trying to reach out to as many people as possible. Ultimately, I would love to have a role in like a sideline reporter or studio host role. Also really gotten involved with video editing and graphic design, just trying to be a jackknife. And, you know, for someone in my situation, I feel like it's really important just to have these conversations, just to be more enlightened. You know, I mean, it's it's bad to say, but you can go through your day and not consider it and not blink an eye, right? And I think to hear a different perspective, to be able to use your platform to at least, you know, speak on behalf of people who can't go to a game and, like you said, have closed captioning video boards and have teams who have these budgets and have the access to do it and just choose not to do it. And, you know, I think that as someone who really enjoys and appreciates the fan experience, then you'd be silly and you'd be disrespectful to not try to take in to account everyone's needs and try to present a better fan experience for everyone, whether at the stadium or at home. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, you mentioned also um, how sometimes it's easy for people to, to overlook um, other people's needs. You know, th- there are some people who are just simply inconsiderate or don't care or, or even go as far as to, you know, mock other people's disabilities. But there are those people who just, they don't know the challenges. If they knew, they would care. They just simply aren't aware. And, you know, for me, you know, I've talked on, on uh, some episodes I've done with Bryce about, like, challenges I've had with ADD and Tourette's. But, like, from talking to Bryce – there are certain challenges um, that, you know, he's overcome being legally blind that I was not aware of. I did not know that some of these challenges existed um, for, for people who are blind. And that's really been helpful for me, um, you know, to have a better understanding um, of, of what, you know, he's been through. And um, like, like you said, to be more informed, I think that that helps you um, to help others. But Bryce also, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of your stuff with teams and beautiful lives. What are some of your, your upcoming plans, um, you know, moving forward? I know uh, you mentioned to me, you're looking into some new opportunities, but what are some of your plans and how do you aim to continue to uh, make a difference? I plan to work to try and get more disability consulting roles with sports teams or companies to help make apps or websites more accessible to create hiring programs for people with, with disabilities and also just to use my life of overcoming obstacles and challenges to inspire people to live their dreams and to realize that anything is possible if they set their mind towards achieving their goals and dreams in life. Yeah, no question. And also, you know, one thing, um, you know, Matt and I talked about a little bit um, off air was, um, you know, we we both thought it was really cool, um, some of the stuff you've done with the Orioles and um, when they had the, the Braille jerseys, um, you know, it's funny. I remember hearing about that before I met you. So I remember when we talked about that, you told me you'd been involved in that. I remember saying, oh, yeah, I, I actually remember seeing that on 
I think it was on ESPN. They talked about it, but what was that process like? Um, and how were you able to influence the team and, and help out um, with that, that whole thing when they were able to suit up in Braille jerseys? I was more assisting the fans who were visually impaired or blind who were coming to the game with putting food menus into Braille and training the ushers how to assist individuals who are visually impaired or blind and then meeting with all the individuals who came to the game to let them know all the accommodations that we had set up for them for that evening on September the 18th, 2018. And, you know, how how rewarding was that for you? And also, um, you know, was there anything about that experience that, you didn't expect um, as far as, you know, how it went that night? I really enjoyed the experience and all the fans who were visually impaired or blind who were there really enjoyed having the food menus in large print and contracted as well as uncontracted braille so they could read what there was to eat and to drink. Well, and also, you know, the, the connection that all three of us have is the FCBL. Um, you know, Bryce and I, like I said earlier, we've both done stuff with the bees and, you know, Matt worked for the league, uh, the FCBL league that the Bees play in. Um, but Bryce, you know, you've obviously done the stuff with the Orioles and with the Bees. Now, you've obviously done a number of other sports outside of baseball. But I've never actually asked you this. Is baseball your favorite sport or do you just like to do as many sports as you can and have as much of an impact? I like to commentate as many sports as possible. I do really enjoy commentating baseball and softball due to how easy it is to understand the game in my head and also to really be able to share stories about the lives of the players and coaches. No question. And Matt, I mean, kind of passing that to you as well. I mean, do you think that there's kind of a difference? You mentioned like at BC football games, they just have a lot more fans than hockey games and other sports. So it's, it's easier to accommodate people when there are smaller crowds, but it, have you noticed kind of a difference in culture in disability accommodation um, through the various sports you've worked with? Sure. So I think a lot of, a lot of sports treat it differently. Um, the big sport that I grew up playing and that I was introduced to, and now I've had the privilege of getting my friends into is golf. And there have been a number of articles that I've seen written that are really inspiring about golf serving as a kind of way of therapy a chance for people who may not be able to play contact sports may not, you know, definitely talking about in terms of playing rather than watching, but, you know, serving as a unique opportunity where it's not as demanding with logistics where, you know, some sports are required to have 10, 15, 20 people. And also just, you know, reasons that people play golf. I've seen a lot of people who may be coming back from war who have PTSD, people who have disabilities and who were involved in a lot of contact sports and can no longer do it. You know, there are a ton of videos that you see on SportsCenter and ESPN of kids that may only have one arm that have adapted and learned how to swing club in that sense. You know, people who rely on a caddy to either help with visual impairments, auditory impairments, you know, there's a number of different ways that you can kind of accommodate the sport to your liking. And it's a big reason why I think, you know, golf in general is a big, you compete against yourself. You try to compete for that growth and, you know, you're your own referee. You're required to kind of penalize yourself. And I think there's definitely a big moral standard when it comes to the game of golf. Right. And, you know, you hear about it being the lifetime game, regardless of age or ability, everyone can at least 
have a taste of it and get to love and enjoy it. And also like what's better than being outside and, you know, being in nature and getting four hours to kind of step away from your phone and just, you know, be outside with friends or by yourself, whatever that means for you. And I think that that's one thing I've seen through the game and by following the sport, by seeing people's experiences and how it's kind of helped them and been a big sense of either peace or a sense of accomplishment for them. No question. And and that's really cool that you mentioned specifically how golf um, has been impactful. Um, you know, I'm not a, a, you know, huge golf guy myself, but I, I might be, you know, more inclined to, uh, you know, start following golf a little bit more now. And Bryce, I mean, do you have, I know you've worked with football, basketball, baseball, a number of teams. Do you have any experience working with golfers? And maybe would that be something you'd be interested in getting involved in? I haven't done any specialized programs for individuals who have disabilities with golf yet, but it is something that I could do if someone's interested in having me do that and assist with that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and if, if you end up doing some type of golf program, I, I suggest not hiring me as the golf instructor. I am very, very bad at golf. I lost to my girlfriend in mini golf recently, and my girlfriend is actually the second worst golfer on the planet. Uh, only I am worse. She's really, really bad at golf and she still beat me. Um, we both made par on zero holes. Like there was a family with children playing on the hole behind us. and They'd have to wait like 20 minutes in between holes so we could finish because we kept miss- missing putts. So Bryce, definitely I recommend looking into going the golf route, but do not bring me on that route with you. You, uh, you want me nowhere near a golf course. Um, but, you know, I really appreciate both of you guys, um, you know, taking the time to, um, you know, come on today. Bryce, obviously, you know, we, we do this regularly. And Matt, uh, you know, coming on as a guest today. Uh, Matt, you mentioned you, know, you usually host stuff. Now you're coming on as a guest. You know, now that you're becoming slightly more of a big deal, um, you know, you're going to get invited on shows. It's, it's going to start to get overwhelming when you get invited on more and more. I know I'm going to have to move my calendar from my notes app to a physical whiteboard or something. It's becoming overwhelming, but um, I just wanted to mention before we kind of end things here, Bryce, one of my huge interests is in logos and uniforms and branding and the Braille uniforms were a huge deal on some of the forums that I follow and the reception to them was overwhelmingly positive. Um, You know, it's awesome to hear that you had an even more hands-on role in providing the menus for the food and the Braille type for a lot of the guests, but I mean, it was just really neat and a great one-off event. So, you know, props to you for that. I had also been quite familiar with it before hearing of your name. Yeah, I really enjoyed helping that. And hopefully we can do more events like that in the future, either with the Orioles or with other teams throughout sports. Well, it kind of like Matt said, you know, I that took place before I got in contact with you, Bryce. But I remember hearing about that um, as well. You know, this is actually probably one of the main reasons why I was able to get Matt to, to come on this podcast was to talk to you. I don't think he'd want to do an interview with just me, but, um, but also, um, you know, Bryce, I know you're involved in a lot of organizations and you're very active on, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter and Matt, I know you're also pretty active um, for anyone listening. Um, if they want to keep up with you guys with some of your advocacy or career pursuits, uh, where can you guys be found uh, websites, social media handles? Let's hear them. Bryce, I'll let you take the lead on this one. So my Twitter is at Bryce Weiler at capital B-R-Y-C-E, capital W-E-I-L-E-R. 
They could search Bryce Weiler on LinkedIn, B-R-Y-C-E-W-E-I-L-E-R. And the website for the Beautiful Lives Project is www.beautifullives.org. All right. So my Twitter account is uh, at Sotilli, but little note here. So in order to get that username, I had to make the L in my last name a capital I. So it appears as an L, but actually reads as S-O-T-T-I-I-E. I took that tip from a friend who had the Twitter handle goalie. And I said, there's no way you secured the Twitter handle goalie. And he said, little known fact, it's actually, you know, capital I. So in, in short, you can search my name on Twitter, Matt Satilli, S-O-T-T-I-L-E. Um, on Instagram is msatilli43. And you can also check out my website where I post a lot of my projects and my work, uh, matthewsatilli.com. So thank you guys so much for having me on. It was a ton of fun today. No question. Also, um, you know, Matt, you do your Matt Satilli graphics. I have to plug that as well for you. Yes. Um, you actually didn't pay me any money to say that, uh, but I figured I'd do you a solid. Honestly, you know, Matt Satilli graphics is oftentimes referred to as the radical strength and fitness of the graphics world. So, um, you know, wow, and they, that's you, high praise right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they, they do pay me to say quick, that, but yeah, you know. go for it. <laughs> Well, you know, if you if you hear unprecedented one more time, maybe you go take that uh, radical fitness instead of punching a hole through the wall. Go ahead. Yes. Up, hit a punching bag or do some of that work you've been doing. But yeah, it's uh, at Satilli underscore graphics on Instagram. Like you mentioned, and like I talked about, you know, have always loved uniforms, logos, branding. And that's kind of inspired me to get more, uh, you know, get my abilities up in Photoshop and Illustrator and kind of learn a little bit more about how stuff functions behind the scenes to help me both self-produce and just, you know, appreciate the entire world of sports media. Yeah. And you know, you guys have uh, given out your handles. I'll also say anyone who wants to hit me up on Snapchat, it's uh big boss daddy, one, two, three, four, five. No, I'm lying. But thank you guys both for uh, coming on. Bryce, obviously we have some more episodes we're doing down the road and Matt, thank you for joining us. Um, as a guest. So once again, um, that is the Weiler Weekly Segment 2 of the Leverett Ball Show. This is Leverett Ball, your host. Thank you again to Bryce Weiler and Matt Satilli for joining me.